we are surrounded by incredibly strong people. Their journeys, like us all, are full of resilience, persistence, inner strength, and an ability to gain perspective to make the best of what is thrown our way. This is People Are Amazing, the podcast. This episode, I get the privilege of talking to a beautiful human who was born into the Jehovah Witness faith. At a young age, he realized he was attracted to the same sex. He tells a story of how he tried his best to keep to the rules of the faith for as long as he could. But in the end, his heart and body won. This is Joel's story. Well, look, thank you so much for um, volunteering to share your story. I think um, from our original discussion, I told you that it's it's kind of, I think it's really important for people to still be able to share, like have a platform to be able to share some of the stories that are no longer on the forefront. And, you know, you and I, we both live in first world countries where um, you know, gay marriage is now accepted. There's so much that has changed in the last sort of 10, 15 years in terms of accepting that world. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you obviously had a really, really tough time getting to this point and stepping away from the community that you kind of grew up with. So do you want to get straight into it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so how about you, um, firstly, share your name, um, tell us where you're from and, you know, where you grew up, what your childhood was like. Yep. Uh, oh, my name is Joel. Um, I'm from South Wales in the UK, uh, from a little town uh, called Aberdeer. Um, I had a really nice childhood, actually. I, I grew up um, as a Jehovah's Witness. Um, and a lot of people uh, think that we're probably quite, uh, we might have, we must have sad childhoods because we don't have Christmas and birthdays. But it, it's really not the case, you know. I, I never felt like I went without, to be honest. My my parents didn't have a lot of money either. and and But they always, they were great parents, you know. They always treated me really well. And uh, I love them very much, you know, and we would do things together. We'd go, go away on holidays when we, when we could afford it. Um, you know, it was a nice, nice childhood. I couldn't, I couldn't complain when it, come to, when it comes to my childhood, to be honest, even within the faith. I actually really enjoyed the, the, the sense of community because uh, you're encouraged to be um, very close with your fellow Jehovah's Witnesses and it's like a uh, almost like a family thing that no matter where you go in the world if you meet Jehovah's Witnesses you'll you'll find family you know which is so it's a really nice uh, it's a really nice way to live you know in that way. So for, for those of you who are, don't really know too much about the Jehovah's Witness faith do you want to share a little bit about your experience of growing up Jehovah's Witness besides the family community that you've expressed? Yeah. Um, it was, I suppose it had its ups and downs, to be honest. I had, uh, I had some really close friends, which I could always rely on, and I found them to be uh, better friends to me than I that I'd made in school and things like that. And I think it's because... Uh, uh, while controversial sometimes I think the Bible does teach um, some good standards um, as well you know when it comes to how we live our lives and how we treat others so I think that had a good influence on me growing up and it it um, it had a good influence on my personality then and helped me to be a good person and good to others you know 
Um, but on the other hand, there were some things that were difficult, you know, um, growing up uh, feeling different, you know, wanting to fit in sometimes. I didn't want to stand out as different, you know. I wanted to, I didn't want to be seen, you know, and I, I know some kids are different. Some kids like the spotlight, like, you know, and they like to be the center of attention, but I don't think I wanted that. I wanted to just sit back and let people not ask me too many questions about it at the time, like, you know, but uh, just being a shy kid, you know, but um, also uh, becoming a teenager and things like that and discovering that uh, that I was different. I wasn't like everyone else and ex who was expected to be completely heterosexual. I was attracted to boys and girls, mainly boys. And that was that was wrong, you know. So how, how was that recovery in it being wrong? So was it was it told to you from a very young age that if you were that way, it wasn't right? Yes, yeah, it was. Uh, I hate to say it, but my uh, my parents were quite adamantly against um, anything of a homosexual nature, and uh, yeah, they. Well, not every Jehovah's Witness is like this, but they, in particular, were quite against it. And it always made me feel like I could never talk about how I felt, how I started feeling, because I was always brought up to feel like that would be something that you would be ashamed of and that you should pray away, you know? And, yeah, so for a long time, I couldn't, I couldn't talk to my parents. I don't, well, I never even spoke to my father about it until I was an adult, until just a couple of years ago. But uh, I spoke to my mother about it a little bit when I was a teenager. And she was, she handled it well, in all fairness. She, she was loving and tried to be as understanding as possible, but at the same time, trying to really uphold the standards of the faith. So that was, I think that was difficult for her, obviously, to see that I was struggling with this, but also wanting me to uphold the standards of the faith as well. And I didn't want to disappoint them, you know? It was, uh, it was like being stuck between a rock and a hard place. Yeah, yeah. So um, how old were you when you started feeling your differences? Um, I went through puberty quite young, so I was about 10, and yeah, I, I started feeling, I thought, oh, maybe these are just new feelings, I've, I've been told about these new feelings I'm supposed to be getting, because I'm getting older now, and um, I, I thought it was just little phases that I was going through, but as time went on, I started realising, wait a minute, I'm actually attracted to boys more than more than girls you know that I was always that way and then I, th I only realized recently that um when I was younger I used to be really judgmental of my boyfriends who um were uh what's the nice way of saying this a bit pervy when it came to looking at 
the opposite sex. And I was like, oh, just, they're not a piece of meat, you know, that sort of thing. But in my head, I suppose I was looking at the boys like that, <laughs> you know, as a teenager. But So that's why it was easy for me to judge them because I really wasn't having the, the same feelings, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> so what was the situation like when you built up the courage to go and tell your mom? Oh, well, my mother actually approached me. I had, uh, I don't know how she knew to come and talk to me about it, but uh, I think she could tell something was up with me. And I went to an all boys school and something had happened between me and another boy there. And I hadn't told her, but she came to me and asked me, has anything happened between you and another boy? And I broke down in tears and told her everything. And uh, yeah, so that's, I was about 15 when that happened. And uh, well, I promised to never happen again. It did happen again. And I tried to just live with the, the shame and the guilt that came along with it because of what I was taught to believe. So was that your first time? It was, it was my first, it was my first sexual experience was with, with a boy in school. And obviously he felt that way too, in terms of exploring each other's body, going to the church. Yes, yeah, yeah. Which is difficult because we, obviously the toxic masculinity is still prevalent and especially among young boys, I'd say, you know, of 15, 16, you know, we're all thinking that we're men already. And well, we both tried to pretend like it wasn't what it was, you know, it was, we were like, oh no, it's just, we're just messing about, we're just messing about, we're both men. <laughs> but uh, was he Jehovah's yeah. as well? He wasn't. No, I didn't go to school with any Jehovah's Witnesses. So uh, he didn't, um, it, it was obviously something that didn't bother him in the slightest, like, you know, in, in that way, because he wasn't religious, but uh, I, I suffered with it, you know. And did that encounter end up developing into a relationship? Uh, no, 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 because he was, he was not okay with coming out and I definitely was not okay with coming out I I had no intentions of leaving the faith and I had every intention of remaining in the faith for the rest of my life still at that point you know I was I was happy well maybe happy isn't the right word to use but uh, I was happy to live with the guilt and live with the shame for the rest of my life because I felt uh bringing up being sorry being brought up in it i didn't just think it was real and think it was the right faith i i knew it you know it was it was something that was guaranteed to me you know i i i felt so strongly for the faith as well which made it harder to live with feelings that i was told were wrong i am um... I want to talk about how you compartmentalize that because it's, <laughs> and I absolutely, like I, what you've just explained to me, I resonate with because sometimes it's so easy to say, I'm, I really wholeheartedly believe in something, but you mm -hmm. still go ahead and do something that you feel is the complete contradiction. 
Yeah. How do you compartmentalize it? What do you go through? Yeah, it's a, it's a roller coaster because I would go through times where it would be easier to just bury. And uh, like, obviously, when I left school, I didn't have to see my, uh, my friend who I'd had this sexual experience with. And it got easier. But then it, you know, with access to the internet and things like that, uh, it, you know, seeing things that fueled my desire and wanting what I was told was unnatural and not right and it was wrong and it was one of the worst things you could do, you know, but it was still there and it was always, it was always something that uh, was prevalent then. I thought about it every day and I would pray and pray and pray that God would just take it away from me. You know, just, just don't, why, why do I feel like this? I don't want this, this, I want the faith. So why do I feel like this? Why can't you just take it away from me? And I was always made to believe that if someone felt like that, then they could just pray and God would help them. And I never felt like God was helping me. <laughs> I thought everyone else, I said, I said to myself, this isn't fair. God is God is helping everyone else and they get to live their happy lives with their wives and things like that. And, and I'm, I, I have to pretend like I'm just like them when I'm not. And sometimes I was okay with, okay with it. And sometimes I wasn't, you know, it was, I suffered with depression. I still do now to this day, but it's, uh, it's not as bad, but I went through some really down times and um, really isolated myself at times where I couldn't cope. Um, I tried to spend as much time around other Jehovah's Witnesses as I could, and I had really close friends, but no one I could ever tell this to. For for the longest time, the only person that knew that I'd ever done anything was my mother, and other than that, no one knew anything. So what happened after this then? You left school, um, you know, you stopped seeing the person from high school and yep. you were a man by that time, obviously still trying yes. to work out where your head is at in terms of your sexuality, what's accepting, as well as the community that you've grown up knowing and loving. How did you take control of that situation? Well, like I said, I wanted to, I definitely wanted to remain in the faith. And I thought, I'm not, I'm not unattracted to women. And I am, I do find some women attractive, even though I am more attracted to men. So I thought, maybe I'll just get married one day. And that will fix everything. And um, I knew I'd probably end up getting married young, a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses get married young. Um, but um, I met uh, a young woman who had been studying the Bible with my mother. Um, she had a uh, she had a young child. She just she just had a baby, and uh, she became a Jehovah's Witness. And me and my sister used to take her out and socialize, and um, we had a lot of fun together. And we actually became really close friends. And I started to think this this person would be an excellent wife. I thought she's she's a fantastic person. We're best friends. We get on like a house on fire, and she's really attractive. And 
yeah, that's that's basically what happened. I pursued her. She she felt attracted to me as well, and we started dating. And within a year, we were married. Uh, so I, by the time I was twenty, I was uh, married with a child. So that was uh, <laughs> that was a bit of a change for me. Yeah, I'm going to ask you something personal. So um, that would have been the first time you've been with a woman. Yeah. What was that like for you? Um, it was, I remember thinking that it was good, but it wasn't, something wasn't quite right. I just remember thinking, this is not how I pictured it would feel, you know, so, losing my virginity. And I'm sure, I suppose there's plenty of stories where people lose their virginity and uh, it wasn't what they expected, you know, but uh, I just remember there was just this niggling thought or feeling in my head that was okay that was good but but why don't I feel entirely satisfied with this why why does it why does it feel not quite right you know and I knew it felt right um on a scriptural basis because I was married and we had we lost you know we had sex for the first time on our wedding night you know so I knew it, it eased my conscience to, to, to go that direction, but it didn't, it didn't feel quite right. And it never went away then after that. I, as much as we tried, I would enjoy myself with, with my wife and we would enjoy um, each other's company and we would enjoy our physical intimacy as well. But it just, didn't seem it makes me it makes me sound incredibly selfish but it didn't seem enough and I I feel bad that I I put my wife through through that you know because she like I said she was my best friend and she was amazing and she was the best wife that anyone could ask for and that was another thing that I added to my guilt because I thought why can't I? Why can't I just be incredibly straight, you know, like all the other heterosexuals? Because I have a perfect wife, you know. <laughs> this is what all the other guys want, and I've got it, and I can't appreciate it as much as they can, you know. I can guarantee she probably wasn't perfect, but it was probably your guilt that was weighing it all up. But it's it's amazing <laughs> that you've got that perspective. Yeah. Well, um, early. In our marriage, I told her about the things that I had done and my feelings and things like that, and things I struggled with. And she was incredibly understanding. And she really did try hard to make the relationship work at every bump in the road. And as difficult as it was, I, I think as difficult as I made it for her sometimes, I think it took its toll on both of us and uh, um, eight and a half year we we went through eight and a half years of of marriage before we mutually decided to um to separate did you share with her the feelings after you got married i mean she was accepting of it beforehand and then as the over the eight and a half years did you have those no 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 it was i i shared with her when we after we got married i never felt like i could share it with anyone and I 
at the time, I remember thinking that I probably would never even share it with her. I wanted to bury it that badly. So, yeah, and ethically, I see now that that probably wasn't the best thing to do to... I put her in a really difficult position, you know? So what happened at the end? Why did you guys break up? It was a mutual decision, but what was the discussion like? Well... <clears throat> I had been removed from the faith once already um, through, uh, through wrongdoing in their eyes. And I, I had waited and waited and it, it took six months for them to allow me to come back in. And in the meantime, the, what they call it is, um, is disfellowshipping. And it just means you're, I don't know, maybe another word for it is excommunicated or and basically shunned by everyone uh, so my my parents, my my friends, um, all the witnesses. So any witness, they won't they won't talk to me. They won't acknowledge me. If we pass in the street, most of them won't even look up at me. And that was difficult to go through. But I went through six months of that, and it was hard because, uh, like I said, when when I left school, I I lost touch with all my school friends the only friends and family that I was close to were Jehovah's Witnesses so when I went through that the first time uh, it was like being a ghost you know walking down the street and whenever I saw someone who knew me they wouldn't look at me or talk to me and I went through six months of that the first time uh, they allowed me to come back and I was incredibly happy because I was back in the faith again and I was I had my family back and my parents back and all my friends back and they were they were great you know they welcomed me back with open arms um but then uh a couple of years later um I fell into some old habits and they removed me from the the faith again uh, I was disfellowshipped again and um this time it, it was harder to just accept and for i'd say the first month i didn't i stopped going to their their meetings and and the place of worship i couldn't i couldn't face being around people who would treat me like i wasn't there um but i got over it and i decided to try harder for the sake of my my wife and uh, we had another two kids at the time so three kids all together and I thought I need to try harder for my family because they're all part of the faith as well and they don't want to see me like this so I thought I'll try I'll try harder uh, I was it was just coming up to a year and throughout that year we'd been having a really rough time me and uh, me and my wife had been having a really rough time. We'd had lots of arguments, lots of disagreements. I was de really, really depressed. I would spend a lot of days just sleeping, unable to motivate myself. It just took its toll. I wasn't, um, and because of all that, I wasn't as supportive as I could have been as a husband, you know, and... Um, I neglected, I neglected my wife. I made a, I suppose, 
not intentionally, but I made her feel unloved, you know, and we just really started to drift apart. So even though we were still friends, we were drifting apart slowly. And I started to feel like I still love her, but I'm not in love with her, if that makes any sense. And we sat down one night and just started talking unintentionally talking about a, a breakup but it came around to it and we realized that we were both unhappy and um decided that it was probably for the best if we just went our separate ways and she wanted to make a clean cut of it so um by the next day i had i'd moved out and i was staying with my brother for a little while now it is much better in comparison to how it was uh, when we first broke up and throughout the first few months because it's been it's coming up to two years now um since we actually broke up and i'd say the whole the majority of the first year was very difficult for both of us because I think no matter how you go through a breakup, whether it's harsh or mutual, um, it can be really devastating, you know? And I was heartbroken. Even, even though this was a mutual decision, I had never been heartbroken before. She was the first person I'd fallen in love with. And I was heartbroken and I was really struggling. I started to spiral. And... We had many arguments that, and talked about things we'd never talked about before and started to, she started to, to miss me. I, I started to miss her, but at the same time, I knew that this was going to be for the best and also that I couldn't fight for the faith anymore. I couldn't, I couldn't do it and she really wanted me to fight for the faith and to fight for her, but I felt like I had no fight left in me. That is um, so sad, isn't it? Because that love is, yeah, she was your best friend. And eight years, couple of kids, so many life milestones together. You can't just let that go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She, and now things are much better and we've, we've moved on. I, I'm with someone now and she's, She's still single, but she has moved on from me. And I can tell in the way she talks to me that she's not, she's not waiting for the day that I come back, you know? We are, I feel like we're back to that place that we were before we got married, where we were friends, you know? And it, it's nice to, it's nice to feel like that again, because I told her, I told her a few times that after I'd left that, out of everyone I miss, I miss her the most because she really was my best friend. And I, I would hope that she would still remember that we had good times as well as, as well as some hard times. We, we, we made some really good memories as well. So, and I think she does, she does. So you are now in a new relationship with a man? I am indeed. Yeah. 
Can I just circle that back to your wife? Did you yeah. openly tell her that you are in a relationship with a man and did she piece all that together as to why the depression towards the end of your relationship and how you kind of spiraled out of love, out of the romantic love? Yeah. Um, well, it started, when it started, it was just a couple of months when I started dating my boyfriend, it was uh, a couple of months uh, after we broke up. And it was hard on Dan, uh, my wife, because she was, obviously, we'd been together eight and a half years. Uh, well, actually, we'd been together nine and a half years, if you include when we actually started dating. And after all that time, she felt like I'd moved on so quickly. And what I tried to say to her is, we had been drifting apart for so long and you knew that I wasn't happy and and I'd been alone for a long time too. I had her and I had the kids, but I had to watch her interact with all my loved ones and I I struggled to cope. I was struggling to cope and then when we broke up, I literally had no one other than seeing my kids occasionally. I had no one. I wasn't that. I was stayed with my brother when we broke up initially, but I'm. I wasn't. That close to my brother that he had he had his own problems and it was difficult to talk to him about what was going on with me, and. It was it was hard to go through that. So, I had to. I had to be really patient with her because obviously she was hurting, but I also needed her to understand that. I'd been hurting a lot as well and that I'd been alone for a really long time and I couldn't, I couldn't keep living alone, you know? I wish I could reach over the screen right now and give you a cuddle. <laughs> Thank you. Loneliness <laughs> is the most terrifying thing that I don't want any of my friends and family to ever feel. Yeah. Loneliness. Um, I want to go back a little bit more on the Jehovah's Witness piece before we move on. Um, yep. What did you get excommunicated for twice? The first time and the second time? It was both for the same thing. It was uh, for pornography. Um, for doing pornography on the internet and uh, uh, basically it's not just uh, pornography that was the bad thing it was they put mm, they put a special kind of wrong on anything of homosexual nature um, because that's what the type of pornography was um, they took it uh, very seriously and uh, the first time it was I think it was easier for me to deal with because I had gone to them a few times and they had always sat down with me and tried to help me uh, over and over and over again and I didn't seem to change and they said in the end we don't want to do this but we you know nothing's changing we have to disfellowship you and I felt more okay with it that time even though it was devastating and difficult and heartbreaking uh, but the second time I I was disfellowshipped very quickly. I approached someone to talk to them about it, to basically confess, confess my sins. And it was 
arranged for me to sit down with a few of the elders from the congregation and they made the they asked me to leave the room and they made their decision within five ten minutes and I was out um they disfellowshipped me and I appealed the decision because they allow you to appeal I got I got the appeal but they didn't change their their mind and I was I was gone sounds like something with a judge and jury it is kind of like that you sit down with um three of the elders three of the elders are assigned to to you and they sit down and basically they they talk to you and they ask you all questions surrounding the uh the topic um they ask how you feel about changing how what your attitude is towards changing and whether or not you're going to try and their idea is they basically want to know if if you have intentions of trying to do better and by the end of it they they had judged that my intentions were not to try to do better even though i even though obviously at the time i was begging for them to not do it to me again and but they felt like that uh, my past actions had proved that I wasn't going to change. How did they find out about the pornography? I told them. Why would you do that? <laughs> because I wanted to be, uh, <laughs> I wanted to be clean in God's eyes then. And they, they, uh, one of the, something they teach then is, um, is to confess your sins if you've committed a serious sin which is what that is considered um then you should confess your sins and i hated it to be honest because because i knew what i'd already been through and it even though it was only for six i say only for six months six months is a long time but it felt like six years you know being treated like a ghost not spoken to by anyone i was I was not, it took me a while then, let's say, let's just say that, it took me a while to come forward with the information, and I remember that being one of the reasons why they uh, made the decision, and I remember feeling like, and when I wrote an appeal letter, I said to them, look, don't you understand how difficult it was for me to come forward with this information to you, and the first thing you want to do is punish me straight away you want to remove me entirely and disfellowship me but i could have just said nothing you know and just carried on living this way but i wanted to make it right and you're removing me even though i want to make it right and that's i, I suppose that's why i struggled with it the second time then how did they respond to that coldly and lastly, and this is purely for curiosity purposes, how did your family, your wife, like all your close friends and, and relatives, how did they have the strength to ignore you for six months? Well, that's the, that's the pull of this, of the faith then. They, they are taught that um it's a loving thing uh or for two reasons it's loving 
to the person being disfellowshipped because the the um, punishment is uh, there to make them feel uh, sorry for what they've done and maybe they'll come back and do better and it's loving as well in that it keeps the congregation clean that's what they say so uh, basically it keeps everyone the same you know it's uh, so the congregation remains sinless you know something that because I'm not a religious person something that I would find really really hard to do especially you know knowing that you and I we both have children how do Mm. you not speak to them not feel like you need to nurture them in a a time and place where everyone's isolating them yeah I I totally agree I mean obviously it didn't affect my uh my wife and kids we live together I can you know I was still with them and they were the only people I would interact with but as time has gone on I I really try my best not to be resentful because like I said at the beginning I had a really good childhood and and I know from experience and from speaking to people and uh, from the many people that I've met through the faith that it's actually done them a lot of good and some people who have become witnesses later in life it's turned their life around and it's it's done wonders for them. My mother being one of them, she was, from what I know of her before she became a witness, she wasn't a very nice person and she became something so much better to, to the point where my father wasn't interested in the witness faith because he just wasn't interested in religion at all. But seeing the changes it made to my mother, it made him really interested to see why she would decide to become a better person so in that way I I feel like yeah it does a lot of good but I have found it difficult to not become resentful occasionally because you're right in what you say I could I could never do that to my children I couldn't I couldn't ignore them I couldn't see them walk down the street and not speak to them I couldn't, it's been nearly two years now since, yeah, so it's been nearly two years since uh, me and my wife broke up, so it'll be uh, nearly three years since I was disfellowshipped. So that'll be three years since I properly spoke to my mother, to my father, to my friends. It's, so yeah, I get resentful, I think. I couldn't do that to to my children then. And I know that I, I had done it to, not friends, because I never had any friends who were disfellowshipped, uh, really. But I had done it to people who were disfellowshipped. I didn't acknowledge them. But as a grown man, I look at, and I look up my beautiful kids, and I think I could never, I could never just ignore them and cut them out of my life like that. It just feels very conditional. Has there been any interaction with the the parents and relatives of the witness now? My parents? Uh, No, I still haven't spoken to my parents. So that's it? That's it. 
they won't speak to me um, ever. It's I know that uh, the the faith means a lot to them, and sadly, I personally feel like um, I, what I've had to come to terms with, I suppose, then is they probably won't speak to me for the rest of my life, and I've been extremely depressed about it and extremely sad about it from time to time. But I've had to I've had to grieve about it and and get past it even though I still feel a bit sad now and then about it for the most part I've grieved and I've accepted that that's what they want and what they want is to follow the faith and what I want is to not follow the faith and I am not gonna force them to see my point of view as long as they don't force me to see theirs I respect that now let's move on to happier times because you have found yes. freedom. <laughs> um, you know, your wife and now are friends. You've got three beautiful kids. You've got a yeah. wonderful partner. Um, yeah. Tell me about the next phase. So after all that, how you found your feet again? Uh, well, I started to make friends. Um, so I, I became closer with work colleagues and um, I went out with them um, just to socialize and things like that. And I started to, to meet new people. Um, I met um, a really lovely gay couple from um, a few towns over and they were incredibly supportive and they were really sympathetic. I didn't, I wasn't looking for sympathy, but they were really sympathetic to my, to my story. And they just gave me so much support that it was, it was overwhelming and I'd been taught all my life that it's sad because I'd been taught all my life that anyone who wasn't a Jehovah's Witness was a bad person, you know, and, uh, or maybe they were, they were good, but you know, they had more bad qualities than any Jehovah's Witness person. You know, we, I, they, they wouldn't openly admit it, but I think they, they do feel like they are the better, you know, of, of the human species but I felt love and appreciation from this gay couple David and Rob and they were incredible with me and they supported me I remember sitting in my flat one night and they had been there I had just gotten a flat of my own and they had been there um putting curtains up for me because I'd I'm, I'm terrible with DIY and I didn't know what to do. I'd never lived on my own before and they were helping me with everything. They would, I didn't have a lot of money, so they were trying to find me free furniture and, and, and picking it up for me and delivering it. But I didn't ask for it and they didn't ask for anything in return and they were just incredibly supportive. And, and that night that they were putting up curtains, I remember just breaking down in tears and, and uh, Dav was just holding me and just, and I was like, I haven't been hugged in, in so long by anyone other than my kids and my wife. And I haven't, I haven't felt this love and appreciation in so long. It just, it just made me bawl even more. <laughs> and, uh, and they've, they've continued to be there every step of the way. So they, from, they've been my rock 
especially Davi, has been incredible for me. But tell me about your partner. I'm in tears now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's beautiful. Really beautiful. With Aaron, I, I came across him on Facebook. And I remember seeing uh, his profile picture, thinking that, thinking that he was cute. And I looked at a couple of his videos that he'd done and he plays guitar and I thought oh that's really cool because I like I like rock music and although I don't play guitar or anything but I thought he was really talented it was really cool and I just thought and then I realized and then I realized that he was gay <laughs> so I just thought he was just some other Facebook user who I thought was talented and that he was quite good looking as well and then and then I realized actually I could maybe talk to this guy you know but Obviously, it was awkward because it was just somebody I came across on Facebook. We had no mutual friends, and one day I just thought, you know, what? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna send him a message to say hi, and that's what I did. I just, I sent him a message to say hi, and I thought if he responds, great, we'll have a, we'll have a chat. If not, it's, it's no loss, I suppose. But he did respond, and we chatted, and we went from there. Really, I mean, it was. It was difficult at first, though, because I still hadn't come out. So, but I was happy to come out after I'd started seeing Aaron. I was terrified all my life to come out. But seeing Aaron and connecting with him in a way that I thought wasn't possible. I was brought up to believe that a relationship between a man and a man was wrong. And I never thought I'd have one. I just, but but getting to know Aaron and the type of person he was, and we enjoyed each other's company so much, I started to fall for him, and I started to think, I think I think I need to make this decision and and come out, you know, and he was incredibly supportive, and he's been there every step of the way so far. So how long have you guys been seeing each other? Uh, just over. No, I was just going to say just over a year. So it's been about a year and a half now. Yeah. And your children, have they met him? Uh, they have, yes. They, they, it's, it's been a difficult situation because, because of the, the, the faith and um, I'd say the rules. Then it's made my ex-wife feel a little uncomfortable with the whole situation. So they did meet him and they know all about him. Uh, my youngest daughter in particular, she always asks about Aaron. She always wants to know everything about Aaron and she wants to see pictures of him. I've got this little, um, this little passport size photo of me and Aaron. And um, when I first had it up in the flat, um, she would uh, carry it around the flat looking at it. She was, incredibly cute she was so cute um <laughs> yeah um so they have met him uh but since uh meeting him my ex has tried to be she's trying to play she's trying to be reasonable on both sides because she's still part of the faith and she teaches them one thing but then daddy's doing another it's so i'm i'm as reasonable as i can be as well you know so we we talk plenty uh, when it comes to the kids to try and do what's best for them. But yeah, they have met him and 
they they seem to like him. <laughs> and how does Aaron uh, accept the circumstances? How understanding and patient? Well, <laughs> uh, well, first of all, when I was uh, when I first met him on our first date, then I said, "Look, I, I'm not I'm not out. I haven't come out. How do you feel about dating somebody who isn't comfortable?" coming out yet and he was like I don't know you know and what I didn't know at the time was that he'd just come from a relationship with someone who had um, been unfaithful to him who had basically said the same thing and I'm so glad that he had given me a chance even though I just recited some similar words that his cheating ex had just said to him <laughs> but uh, I had no intention of cheating on him but with that, he was very accepting, understanding, and patient. He was incredibly supportive when I told him that I wanted to come out. Every time I t was would send him a text to say I'd just come out to somebody else, he was praising me and giving me lots of love, saying that he was so proud of me and, and things. What was difficult for him as well, though, was my times when I would get sad about uh, being removed from the faith. He found it hard well still finds it hard sometimes um i think he worries that um that i would ever go back to it and i i tried to reassure him that i would never go back to it and i'm incredibly happy with him and he just gets very angry because he's not a very religious person well he's not a religious person at all and it's more for him it's a very irritating situation so when i get sad about it he wants to he wants to lose his lid on uh, on the people that have hurt me that sort of thing you know so that's where he struggles but it's all out of love because he because he cares for me and he loves me so much he doesn't like to see that i've been hurt in any way you know you know i think it's incredible to watch your um demeanor absolutely change you've gone from sharing your sort of um past history to now speaking about your newfound freedom, new life, new love, and your face lights up. <laughs> Wonderful. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm very happy. So tell me, if, uh, if one of your child came to you and told you that they're feeling different to what the witness is teaching them, what yeah. advice do you give them now? What advice would you give them now, knowing what you've gone through? I don't think I would give them solid advice. I've always told my kids that I will always love them. And especially leaving the faith and seeing things as I see them now, I have told them that no matter what they do, I will be proud of them and I will always love them. If they decide they want to stay in the faith for the rest of their lives because they love it and that's what they want to do, then I will be incredibly proud of them and incredibly supportive and I will always love them. And if they decide they don't want it and they want to do other things, then I will be incredibly supportive and I will always love them. So either way, no matter what decisions they make, I will always love them. And that's, that's the message I always deliver to them. You're such a good dad. 
Yeah. And that's all it is, isn't it? It's just making sure that they feel loved, secured, heard, and that you've always got their back. So yeah, that's yeah. So my final question is an opportunity for you to tell me after everything you've gone through, all your life experience, and here you are sitting in front of me at 30 years old, tell me how amazing you are. <laughs> Despite everything that has been told to you or anyone that has put you down or has, has you know, set you back, tell me how amazing you are. I, um, I am just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to people's stories because people have been through so much worse things than me um but i just think if i can if i can find happiness with the things that i've been through then i know that other people can too and that's the reason i wanted to speak to you because and tell you my story because i always felt growing up that i had no one who could relate to what i was going through and I want I want people to see that if you're going through this, things will be hard, but they'll get better. Things always get better. You are an absolute inspiration, and I can't wait for the world to hear your story because really, it's it's as simple as that, isn't it? Just keep going. You'll be all right. Oh yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you again for staying up so late for us. I love you. You're amazing. Thank you, Linda. I love you too. Thanks for listening. My name is Max, and this podcast was hosted by my mum, Linda Chrisoglu. If you enjoyed listening to this story, please rate it and follow or subscribe where you can. And make sure you tune in next time for more inspiring episodes of People Are Amazing, the podcast.